Woo. Just coming off of changing my brakes. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star here for you. Uh, you know, an old term I used to, they, they used to get bantied out about me was uh, the hardest working man in anarchism. I, I didn't mind that at all. And I'll tell you, one, today is one of those days. Look, <laughs> not that I think we're from Mars necessarily, but, uh, you know, if we had a 26 hour day, I, I don't know how much I'd complain about that, but anyway, um, yeah. I, 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 okay. So, so I changed half of my brakes, got the front brake pads changed and all that. I, I have a lot more to do, but that I'll do tomorrow. And of course you're going to end up with more content tomorrow. Uh, actually there's going to be content pretty successively throughout this week. I'm very excited to share a lot of it with you. Um, this is what I am doing here. Basically earlier today. Um, I mean, that's how fresh this is folks, but it also plays into a conversation, uh, that I won't share details on, but I, that I had with a, a long time, uh, tremendous listener who over the years has also become one of my dearest friends. And it was, it was a pleasure to catch up with him. Um, and well, I'll just put it this way. We might have some content down the line. Not, not going to promise anything on that, but it could be somewhat relative to this. So when he hears this, maybe it'll be, it'll, it'll spur him some as well. But anyway, um, what I have here. So, uh, on YouTube, I, I don't post much on YouTube. I do have a YouTube channel more or less. Um, I've used it in the past to uh, upload and share like gameplay videos for uh, the two video games that I have made to date. Of course, Hypercronius and Ninja Trek, which those games are related, but anyway. Um, and I would put up uh, whenever, basically whenever like a patron, a sovereign tech uh, patron at the time when, when Patreon was more of a thing, I would put up when someone requested and they would say, Hey, you know, you've got to get this content out there to everybody. When the patrons would ask stuff that at the time was behind a paywall, when they would ask me to put it up, uh, you know, on YouTube, I'd do it. I'd make a very simple video. Frankly, I'd use windows movie maker 2012, uh, which has never been sufficiently replaced by Microsoft or really any, anywhere else. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it is easily, and you can still install it. You can find the offline installer for windows live essentials. 2012, I think is what it's officially called. Um, and I mean, you know, you might be, you might be worried about security issues, but it's one of those things that, yeah, you can still get your hands on and still works very well in windows 10. Um, it's just, Frankly, there, there is no easier movie software out there unless you have, you know, iMovie, you know, and you're, you're on, you're on a Mac or whatever, which boy, that Apple event, maybe we'll get to that this week on sovereign tech. We'll see. But anyway, let's stay on topic. Um, there, there is, but just to give you a little, I guess, a little tech angle here there, I really wish Microsoft, I mean, they came out with somewhat of a movie maker based around pictures that works within photos in windows 10, but it doesn't really give you the, just the very simple options that windows movie maker gives you. But for whatever reason, windows movie, I mean, like the way that it, it's very simple edits, it allows for different fades and cuts and wipes. 
adding, you know, just putting in pictures and being able to make them fit to time of whatever audio you want to put to it. It's always been my go-to for making any YouTube videos or any videos that I need to make. Uh, to this day, I, I still use it. And again, the version I have and the last version ever made is, you know, as of this recording, eight years old in 2020. Um, I mean, it's really, really fucking brilliant. The best thing that ever came out of whatever they were doing with Windows Live, in my opinion. So anyway, there, there is no replacement for that, but I would use this and, and I would make very simple videos and I will link to the YouTube video of which I am going to share the audio uh, with you from. And it's complete. I realized that, uh, that, and, and, and it's interesting, and I'll, and I'll talk about this. I realized that I never put this little compilation as the compilation that it is in the podcast feed. So what we have here is from what used to be the old Patreon only, uh, what we called Zomi One Underground Q&As. Now, these are all available for free in the feed because there is no more paywall um, for Sovereign Tech at all. I am honored by the amount of people that still donate to the show um, and just appreciate what the show brings to everybody. And again, I've heard from many listeners how they feel I am absolutely ahead of the curve in getting rid of the paywall, that that has become a problem and you can feel it in the content and in the, in, in the shows that are available openly and so on, um, where creating a paywall for a show has created a lesser product with other podcasts. And you know what? I can think of some examples where I think that's true as well. So I'm honored that you appreciate what I am doing here. And again, as I've always said, important information, I will never keep behind a paywall. And this was true in 2017 when I initially put this up. So what this audio is, it's parts of two Q and A's spliced together. Um, it's specifically Q and a, or let's see, I think they were subscriber episodes, number 35 and 36. I forget which exact Q and A's those were, cause those would be two different numbers. Um, so, you know, the, the, the whole audio is available, uh, in, in that range. And I'm sure that they're named something along those lines. But again, this is audio that's originally from mid 2016. Okay. And the video that I compiled, where I compiled these two separate episodes, because one episode's about egoism as an egoist anarchism, Max Stirner school, right? And the other is about ethical hedonism, two subjects that I get a lot of questions about. The title of the video that's available on YouTube and will remain there for as long as YouTube doesn't take it down anyway, is uh, the philosophy of egoist anarchism, ethical hedonism, and Max Stirner. Now, the audio that you're going to hear, this was, uh, you have to, or this video, let's talk about this video for a second. I have gotten, and you can see it when you go to the link, I have gotten a lot of for me anyway, a lot of comments on this video. It is one of the most commented videos um, that I have. It has over 13,000 views as of this recording in 2020. Uh, that's, that's somewhat on the higher end of, you know, of videos that I've put up. Um, I know that's actually for, for a YouTube video. That's not bad. I mean, it's not in the millions of views or something like say, you know, angry video game nerd, uh, angry video game nerd gets. And, and that's, that's fine. I love his work. Um, but 
you know, for the everyday, for, for an average person, and especially for somebody who, and really got to understand folks, I put no effort whatsoever into, into YouTube. I put it up there. It's available for people. It makes it easy to share. Great. There you go. You know, um, I used to put effort into putting sovereign tech on YouTube. And at the time, and this is years ago, uh, probably like eight years ago or so at the time, granted the show wasn't as big as it is now then, but I'd get, you know, at best 40 some odd views per episode that I'd put up there. So I didn't really see it worth the investment because as great as windows movie maker is, it takes a little bit of time to make what, you know, to still go to go through that process. It does add some time to make these things. So anyway, um, so this is, you know, for my work fairly popular. And I think on average for YouTube, 13, over 13,000 views is, is, you know, fairly substantial. Okay. It's not in the hundreds of thousands. It's not in the millions, but that's not bad. So this is a compilation and you'll, you'll hear where it kind of cuts and it just opens up hard because I was just taking these two subjects and it kind of worked and it was requested by a supporter of sovereign tech. Yeah. Why don't you put together, you know, your conversation around egoist anarchism and hedonism, and then maybe people could understand where you're coming from. Uh, you know, when you talk about anarchism and when you talk about egoism and when you talk about, when you use the word hedonism, even though I, absolutely consider myself to this day, an ethical hedonist, egoist anarchist, or just egoist is probably the best moniker or label that I could fall under. I have no problem with, with, you know, standing up, I guess you could say for either of those terms. And, you know, lately in the past few months, I've gotten a lot of comments on these videos and I are on this video specifically. And a part of me wonders, in fact, I was listening to uh, NPR. I was listening to On Point. I shared the episode I was listening to. I shared it in the Telegram group if you want to join that and check that out. But it was a recent episode. And they brought up, amazingly, the guest they had on. Uh, his name's his last name's Bregman. He has a couple of uh, very interesting books out there that I'm sure I'll be talking about at Sovereign Tech, on Sovereign Tech at some point. But they talked about anarchism and, you know, on for NPR to have a conversation about anarchism and not to instantly write off the term, I was rather stunned. Uh, I, I mean, I was just absolutely amazed that they were basically taking anarchism seriously as a serious train of thought, not as in Molotov cocktail throwing, because that's sure as fuck what I'm, I mean, I'm not about that. I'm the most peaceful guy you'll ever meet. Uh, it, it really blew my mind. And I think what's happening is, especially in this election year in the United States, I think overall people are starting to say, Hey, you know, maybe we should question how civilization is organized and anarchism is getting uh, revisited for lack of, uh, of a better way of putting it. So I got a comment today and that's kind of what inspired me to do this. And I'm going to read you the comment. You can go to the YouTube, uh, to the, you know, to the YouTube video and you can see the comment for yourself, but it's by, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing the first name, uh, but it's, it's Lau Guerrero. I think I got, I think I got the Guerrero part, right? So here it is. Uh, 
and, and I think they were talking about the entire episode because the way that I labeled this episode was that it, and when you, if you look at the video, like I put little pictures in explaining what's, you know, kind of being talked about very basic stuff. But anyway, it says it is a casual breakdown of the philosophies of hedonism and egoist anarchism. So that's how, that's how I described the video, which is really just audio, but that I made. So the comment from, uh, from Guerrero here is that's here it is quote. That's probably the most blistering takedown I've ever heard. I'm not an anarchist and went through a phase where I argued on Facebook against some anarchists. And I always thought that their ideas were pretty easy to pick holes in, but your takedown was a thing of beauty precisely because it comes from an anarchist who knows what he's talking about. And therefore your criticism can't be readily dismissed. So I think he's more or, or they, I should say, because I don't know, they are basically saying that, that my critiques of a lot of brands of anarchism that are out there, he thought that my critiques were very valid. He didn't get very far or they didn't get very far in, you know, in, 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 in these Facebook arguments, of course, I would argue those are kind of meaningless anyway, and, and they seem to have come to the same conclusion. But just like, I mean, people that are constantly posting on Facebook, like, really, what are you changing? What are you doing? You're doing jack shit. You know, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> feeling good from the armchair. <laughs> I mean, that's really, it's the ultimate in armchair quarterbacking, right? So now I, again, there are brands of anarchism that I would not agree with, right? I mean, like I don't go to the communist bent, but then there are extremes of, uh, shall we say a more market bent, uh, anarchism that I also have very real concerns around. And you'll hear some of them in this video or in, in this audio from the video, but I really appreciated what they, what they had to share. Um, and I have gotten comments like this many times where, you know, they, people hear me talk about anarchism and they're like, well, if that's what people thought anarchism was, or if that's what anarchism was, I, I'm all about it. And I'm honored by that. And again, I don't, I'm not a thought leader. I don't, I don't, I don't think of myself that way. I don't position myself in that way. Uh, I don't want to be, you understand. But I do know that often enough, I bring a pretty unique uh, uh, position to a lot of the things that I talk about. And I guess maybe that's why sovereign tech is fairly popular, even outside of subjects, uh, you know, that, that are kind of its mainstay, right? Like science and technology. So I'm going to, we're going to cut to this audio. Again, the audio is from 2016. I can't say that. I mean, there might be some things that I would phrase differently. I don't know that there's a whole lot in it that I would, uh, disagree, you know, that, that I would say, Oh, you know, four years later, I disagree with myself about X. Um, I have certainly, for lack of a better way of saying it, I have enhanced much of what I discuss in this audio from four years ago. Um, I have expanded upon, I mean, I make it very clear in this that Max Sterner is not perfect. And that, and I've said this for years that there needs to be, you know, the ego in its own is a fantastic book on anarchism, but there needs to be expansion. 
There needs to be, I don't want to say edits, but it's something that needs to grow. And Sterner would want that as well. That, that seems abundantly clear within his own work. Okay. That book is not the end all be all, but it's a hell of a starting point. So I would say that I have, I mean, there are things that I think Sterner were, was hinting at, um, that could really, really use some expanding upon some, you know, better description, some, uh, dare I say updating and not updating to please the Twitter mob or anything like that. Nothing of the sort updating based around, you know, our, our better understanding of the universe itself, you know, 200 years later. Um, I think that there, there's a need for that. I am not saying I'm the person to do that by no means. Okay. I'm just saying that there is a need for that. And, uh, you know, in my own, in my own, uh, uh, idea, I don't even like the term ideology, but in my own thought processes, have I updated, you know, Max Turner's work in my own head? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, is that something I'll talk about at some point? Maybe. And, you know, maybe you'll listen to this and it, this is open for you to do. Maybe you'll listen to this and you'll have questions. If you have questions about anything that I say in this, again, don't walk away from the show. Ask the question because maybe it's something I have changed my mind on, or maybe it's something that I can expand on and we can have a better understanding. But I think that this is, uh, you know, this is an excellent compilation um, that I think explores a lot of subjects, has a lot of critiques of what a lot of people think X, Y, Z means and hopes, hopefully bring some reality around it. Uh, and it seems to have worked because again, this is a, a very popular video. In fact, I, I'm going to look, well, so a lot of people have, have listened to it, watched it, but I, it has 313 thumbs up and 18 thumbs down on YouTube. So percentage wise, that's pretty damn good too. So you let me know. Now, if you want, you could comment on the, you know, on the YouTube video itself. You can email me questions at sovereigntech.com. You can engage me in the telegram group. Everybody knows how active I am there. Um, hell you can hit me up on Twitter. Okay. I have started uh, tweeting again for varying reasons, but uh, you can also DM me on there. I've gotten DMS lately from great listeners, stuff that I'm going to talk about on the show. Certainly. Uh, so here it is for you. This is again, me four years ago talking about, and this content used to be behind a paywall. It's available now. It's been available for, for some time now for free, but, um, and the, this video that I put up is from 2017, but me discussing egoism, ethical hedonism, or should I say egoist anarchism, ethical hedonism, and a bit about Max Turner. And, uh, I get pretty scathing about a, a lot of libertarians as well. So uh, more of the celebritarians, right? If you know if you know what that means. So check it out. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I will leave you with that. And I am going to let the, I'm not going to come back at the end. I am going to let the audio just ride itself out and end. And again, more content to come out uh, this week. Got some great stuff that I want to discuss with you, but what, what I want to discuss with you right now, or what past me wants to discuss with you is egoism, hedonism, Max Sterner, Let's go to it from 2016 and I'll see all of you on the other side. So this past week in the most recent was it episode six or episode seven. 
um, of, of orgies in the graveyard was the episode of it. I know that. But in the episode of Sex and Science Hour, uh, I talked about, briefly, I talked about Max Sterner during the, the after show where we cover the Amazon purchases because somebody bought Max Sterner's The Ego in its own. Um, and, I, and, you know, Stephanie asked me to sum up as quickly as I could, like, what, you know, what is Max Sterner getting at? What's his, what is he, you know, what is he pushing and or putting out there? And so I talked about that. Um, and I've talked about Max Sterner for years. I talked about it back when I was on Free Talk Live years ago. Um, you know, I said The Ego and Its Own is the best book on anarchism uh, available today. Um, there might be one better out there. There, or there might be one that's that's on par. How about I say that? And and I think I mentioned it during the Sex and Science Hour episode. But it's uh, Michelle Onfray's uh, the 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 Hedonist Manifesto is a, just a brilliant little book. And in fact, in fact, he uses uh, one of his examples of how to organize as anarchists is to is he says the, the is the union of egoists, which is what Max Stirner talks about in the Ego and Its Own. Um, and he said like this is just the most brilliant you know, organizational tool that that's ever been devised. And I agree. I've, I've been saying that forever is that no, the way you set up a, any kind of society is through a union of egoists, which can vary in size. It doesn't have to be, it could be small, it could be large. Um, you know, but you just, you do it under the auspices of what a union of egoists, uh, you know, means. So anyway, the question I got about Max Stirner, um, because I do talk so prominently about him was, uh, was on Twitter, and I'll answer it here. Um, would you consider Max Stirner a libertarian, even though property rights wasn't part of his philosophy, which emphasizes individuality? So that's a great question to bring up. Um, okay, so first off, like Stirner isn't isn't perfect. Uh, who is? But <laughs> but like even egoism, which is Stir you know egoist anarchism, which is Stirner's philosophy. Um, Still, ha still ha is left with much to be desired. Uh, and I think everybody kind of knows that. And that's why so many people point to the ego in its own as like just this foundational text that everybody sort of builds off of. Like even Marx built off of it. Rothbard even built off of it. Benjamin Tucker built off of it. Lots of people built off of, um, you know, off of Stirner's works. And they give credit where credit's due. Now, of course... Sometimes when these people build off of it, I think they severely misinterpret, uh, you know, what, what Stirner had to say. Um, but regardless, you know, he is, he is a foundational kind of character, sort of like a Herbert Spencer, right? Herbert Spencer is another character who I also enjoy and interestingly also was very wishy-washy on property rights. But who gets pointed at is, in many ways, the first libertarian and gets held up as, you know, a, like an incredible philosopher, uh, among other things. So now would I consider Max Stirner libertarian? No, um, I would not. Now, let's be clear, you know, to address the more specifics of this, you know, quick Twitter question. Um, Max Stirner's stance on property rights is that he didn't hold a hard dogma on them. Okay, and that's almost his exact words, is that he didn't have a hard dogma. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't think property rights weren't useful. His concern was, is that property rights, and I'll tell you something, I agree with this, and I've talked about it before on Sovereign Tech, is that property rights can become their own tyranny. Like, property rights can become such a big deal, like, that they can become, or, you know, they, they can be held up as a god, 
and I think a lot of libertarians and anarcho-capitalists do this, uh, to where they become harmful to human growth and the human conditional condition in general and harmful to the individual. Um, I think, and, and that's, this is where, this is kind of, for me, kind of my jumping off point on contracts, is that what happens with contracts is when everything is based upon, you know, voluntary contracts, well, even if they're voluntary, who's the enforcement body? And also, you know, like, how do you agree on these, on these various contracts? Like the example that I give often enough is that if you have uh, land, now there's kind of an answer to this, but I'm going to give the example, okay, is that, and, and this is based off of a, a comedic story that people tell, but this is what I use uh, to explain it, okay? If somebody bought land from some, I don't know, Libertarian Landowners Incorporated or some bullshit, okay? You bought it from them, you go to that land, and, um, you know, and you find that there's like some kind of a squatter or somebody perhaps that has been developing there, you know, maybe it's like, you know, 50 some odd acres, some crazy amount of acreage. And there's somebody that that's been working, you know, living there and working there, I don't know, for 10, 20 years, the time, the time frame really doesn't matter. And you go up to him and say to him, Hey, you know, I bought this land from libertarian landowners incorporated. Uh, get the hell off of my property. Okay, but did this guy, you know, did this squatter, we'll say, whatever, like, did he agree to that? And, and in fact, like, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the situation here? Like, what's the deal? Like, if this guy's on there and he's developed and all this stuff, I mean, then, you, you know, you run into homesteading issues and all this, you know, it becomes an interesting philosophical problem. Um, and, you know, the answer to that is that in some ways, the answer for, for ANCAPs or for libertarians is that, you know, libertarian land landowners incorporated would, you know, there'd be an escrow as in there'd be a penalty if he found out within, say, a certain amount of time that the land he was getting was not what libertarian, you know, that the, that the individual was buying from libertarian landowners incorporated was not what libertarian landowners incorporated described. Okay, so you could set up maybe like a multi-sig cryptocurrency. You know, we're talking about libertarian paradise here. Okay, you could set up some kind of multi-sig where that person would get their money back or they'd get some kind of deposit back or something once he finds out, oh shit, there's this guy on here. I don't want to kick him out or this isn't exactly what I signed up for. However, it all shapes up. Like that, that's sort of how you would, you would do that. Is technologically, that's how that would get solved. But what if the guy doesn't want to give it up? Like, who does that really belong to? Does it belong to Liber Did it originally belong to Libertarian Landowners, Inc.? Just because they said so, <laughs> you know? And like, if, if this guy is on the land, like, you know, how do you get rid of this guy? What if the guy says, no, no, I want, you know, what if he calls up the, the individual that bought the land, that has the title, that has the contract, woo, uh, you know, calls up Libertarian Landowners, Inc. and says, you need to get this guy off the fucking property. So then you have to have an enforcement body around that contract. But the guy that's on the property, he didn't agree to that shit. And there's no requirement for him to agree to that stuff unless you're going to start building fences everywhere and, you know, I don't know, laser fences or something to, you know, to keep all these. I mean, it, like it turns, I think you can see where this is going. While there are some degree of solutions, I think that that could be done that, that allow for a peaceful resolution. There's other solutions that lend itself to tyranny, in my opinion, because you're going to have to have an enforcement body around, like, say, contracts and all this different stuff. And contracts, you know, is, is to some people is like the basis of how, uh, you know, private property would work. 
you know, in a libertarian paradise. You know, that's that's how it would be arbitrated, whatever else. Okay, but that enforcement body becomes a really big issue. And this is a huge issue with, I mean, lots of people are trying to get into this. Ethereum, um, uh, BitNation, like there's a, there's a ton of blockchain projects that are trying to get into where, you know, they are, you know, they're becoming the, the contract organization in all this. And so it's like, oh, okay, so you can put your land title on Ethereum. All right, who's enforcing that land title? Ethereum drones? It becomes a huge issue. Like th there aren't exactly answers for that. So that's, that's where I agree with Max Stirner that with property rights, while he did, he wasn't against them. He didn't have, like I said, he didn't have a hard dogma or he didn't want them to be a hard dogma because he envisioned, and I think properly how they could be used, how property rights could become its own form of tyranny against the individual. Um, I mean, and, and, you know, this conversation could go on forever because we could talk about how, uh, you know, what exactly like, like, okay, as long as it's voluntary, right? That's what everybody gets all hot and bothered about. Hey, well, if they signed it, that's it. It's, it's over. They turned it over. You know, like, like, you know, what, like what define coercion, like define voluntary, like some, you know, like manipulation. I mean, like, when does that come into play? Like, I mean, there's a lot, there's, there's a whole, it, libertarians and ANCAPs make this stuff, try to make the stuff so cut and dry. You know, they try to think, well, it's just, it's simple. It's simple. When these things are incredibly complex and often really the only way you can handle any situation is case by case. You can disagree with me. That's okay. I don't mind if people disagree with me. All right. But I'm just saying that there's, you know, a lot of things that I hear as far as being solutions that, uh, that doesn't sound very free to me. That doesn't sound very voluntary to me, you know, or I can see where it wouldn't exactly be voluntary. Uh, and, and in those cases, it becomes, it becomes very problematic. I mean, let me describe this. So like I said, I, just, I you know, self-describe as a, as an egoist anarchist, uh, just because it's the best term around you know, that I can, that I can run with. Um, and I don't really have, there, there was a time where I would have called myself a, an anarcho-capitalist, I suppose. Um, like I don't really necessarily have a problem with a lot of the basic tenets of anarcho-capitalism. My problem with anarcho-capitalism is first off is the solutions that get laid out. I think they're terrible. I really haven't heard any good ones. Not really, you know, for, for like, okay, well, how do we handle things in a stateless society? Every book that I've read, and I've read most of them, especially from ANCAPs, including lesser known authors that are moronic, uh, you know, like the solutions are horrendous. They're terrible. They are just set up for exploitation, which is exactly what people say is the problem with capitalism is that it exploits. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, honestly, even under anarcho-capitalism, even though they say, well, no, you can have blah, 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 you can do this under anarcho-capitalism, it's all going to be fine, blah, blah, whoa, paradise. Even though they say that, like, it just, it's so, it's so set up for exploitation. And honestly, when you look at so many of the people, not all, I know lots of great people that, that call themselves anarcho-capitalists, I really do. But like the people that, that have any kind of, say, mouthpiece, they're scum, like they are the scum of the fucking earth or they're just, they're just stupid. Like, I don't, I don't know many of them that I, that I have a whole lot of respect for. 
I mean, they are so bad. Like you read their posts and it's like, wow. Or even like you, you, yeah, like follow them on social media and like the traumas on display. It's like, you're telling people how to act when, you know, if we ever get to a stateless society, you're saying this is how things should be, or you could do this, or you could do that. And baby, you don't have shit figured out. And it's, and it's so readily apparent that you don't. It's so bad. So, you know, anarcho-capitalism at its base level, I guess, is fine. I'm not saying that it's the best system out there, but okay. But the people, the solutions that get talked about, oh, fuck that. Don't sign me up to, to, to like, be associated with those assholes. Oof. So, anyway. Um, yeah, I would, <laughs> got in a bit of a tirade. I wouldn't, uh, I would not describe Max Stirner as a libertarian. Uh, libertarianism owes Max Stirner a debt, you know, not, not like an actual debt. They don't have to give him any gold or Bitcoin. Okay. <laughs> not that they could, but like they, you know, libertarianism is certainly a, a step on the shoulders that, that is Max Stirner, you know, that is the ego in its own. Um, I mean, and, and all that said, like, and I think I talked about this uh, at the end of uh, last week's Sex and Science Hour. Like, I, I worry because there's, in my opinion, there are a lot of people that absolutely do not get the ego on its own. They do not get egoism. They do not get Max Stirner. Uh, like, I don't know if they only read half the book or what happened, but they they are missing the boat, like, all the way. You know, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they really are. Um, now, if you want me to... Quickly, like, I guess, get into what exactly, I mean, this is, this is what I got it. And we got some email about it. Like, because the way I described, you know, how would I describe egoist anarchism? How would I describe what Max Stirner is pushing? I tried to make it as short as I could, but it's, it's practically impossible to, to, to make it really short. And it sounds, it doesn't sound, it may not, it might not sound pretty or appealing in very short form. There's a reason the ego in its own is such a massive tome. It's such a huge book. Is because there's so much to cover. Like you have to break down all the spooks, which spooks are like, I mean, spooks are effectively saying, no, this isn't rooted in science or reality. This doesn't actually exist. Like government is a spook. Religion is a spook. Um, all kinds of things. There's lots of people that honestly are spooks <laughs> in a very real way, or at least what they espouse is, is what they say, spooky. Um, so, you, you know, you have the concept of spooks. You have the union of egoists, which the union of egoists is, is that you, you have a common goal, okay, or a, joint, a, a shared goal that you're trying to achieve with other people, okay? And if at any point, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a goal, but, you know, maybe you have a shared standard that you're, that you're uplifting, that you're promoting, that you're wanting to live. But here's the, here's the rub, is that, Anybody has to be able to leave that at any given time with no consequence. Like, like they, they need to be able to leave that intact and then the union is broken thereafter. Okay. This is, you know, this is kind of the thing. This, this gets back to like some ideas for blockchains uh, where people are like, oh yeah, we want to make digital citizenship and all this different stuff. And it's like, okay, well, what if I want to move from Ethereum to another blockchain? Can I take my stuff over? 
Or will we end up like with what happened with Ripple, where when somebody wants to cash out and it's a whole lot of money, no, you're going to crash the system. We can't let you do that, buddy. Sorry. You know, you, you can't just leave. And so then, you know, blockchain or digital citizenship becomes, you know, again, it becomes kind of a, its own little tyranny, right? Because you can't just walk away, even if it's private and voluntary. That becomes problematic. So the union of ego is, is so, so important to study. Uh, and, and I think any form of anarchism can make use of that. You don't have to be an egoist, you know, to, to, to take advantage of the union of egoists. In fact, uh, I, I did a write-up about this on ZOG.ninja on my website at one point. Like Elon Musk, not that I want to give him any credit, but he was talking about how he thinks businesses should be set up and all this. And uh, his, like, you know, his idea for the best way a business to run was effectively a union of egoists. And, and other people have kind of said, that, you know, have, have espoused similar ideas, sociocracy, some others where, where it's kind of a, you know, a union of egoists and all this. Uh, so that's a great idea. That's something that you can take, you know, take anywhere. So you have the spooks, you have union of egoists. Uh, oh, man, there, there's like so many, so many different concepts to get into. But at the base level, and this is what I said on Sex and Science Hour that some people emailed about, and I'll, I'll just kind of address it here. Again, I was trying to be short, so, you know, you can't. You can't really get into the nitty gritty of what everything means, but effectively egoism, egoist anarchism is just saying, look, the individual is the thing that matters. Everything else is absolutely secondary. All that matters is the ineffable, the individual and what that is. Okay. So nations don't matter. Your religion doesn't matter. Uh, your morals honestly don't matter. And it's true. Morality. Where is morality in science? I mean, yeah, there's things like empathy in science. Sure. Like, you know, rats have empathy. I mean, you can go down that sort of stuff, but like, where is the idea, you know, where, where is various morality or where is like the concept of rights, like the right to bear arms? What are you talking about? Like where in science is it that, you know, what, what is the scientific proof that you have the right to a gun or a sword? There is no scientific, you don't, that, that right doesn't exist. Okay. I'm not saying it's a bit, you know, I'm not saying it's an evil thing. I'm just saying that let's be clear here. It is just, it is like money to where it's something that everybody's just sort of agreeing upon, or at least some people are agreeing upon, but it's not something that if you were, you know, two, three people stranded on a desert Island, the rest of humanity was gone or something like that. Like, okay, where does the right come from? to, you know, to, to where like you are, you absolutely must have a gun or, or something like that. Or not, not that you must have, but you know what I mean? Or like even privacy, like where, what is the scientific basis for that? Now, I mean, you can say that privacy is, is better off, is, you know, ha the ability to have privacy is great for the human condition. Sure. But where is the concept that humans must have this or you get to start shooting and offing other people? Right? Because that's that's the ultimate end of, of rights infringement. Where is that? It doesn't exist. You know, that's why you have to base rights on God, or some people like to base it on, on humanity. But again, where like where in your biological code, you know, does it say I I I am guaranteed this, 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 this? It's not there. I'm not saying they're bad ideas. They're great ideas. Yes, I think people should have the liberty of privacy. I don't like to use the word rights. You know, I think people should have the liberty to own whatever property, you know, that, that they can get their hands on, whatever. Okay, if, the, if that ends up being a gun or something like that, fine. That's a property issue. 
Okay. Um, you know, all these different things. I think they're great, but let's be clear that, you know, it, it's, it's a human construct. It's not a part of the universe. Okay. And so that's what Max Sterner is getting at when he talks about spooks and all these other things, or when he talks about how there shouldn't be property rights or not that there shouldn't be, um, but that, you know, property rights be careful with those, you know, or when he talks about like morale, there is no morality, right? There isn't. <laughs> Like the universe doesn't have a government, you know, to tell people what to do or, you know, I, I mean, like there's, oh, it's such a kind con- see what I mean? It's so tough to, to kind of talk about this, but I hope you get my point. Now, that doesn't mean you're a nihilist either. That just means that you're, I mean, to some degree, I, I hate to use this term because that's what everybody says whenever they say they're not this. Okay. But you are being a realist in that, no, there is like, you can't measure the, you know, the right to privacy scientifically. Okay. So it doesn't exist. Um, anyway, so, you know, that, that's where that sort of thing comes in. Uh, and I'm, I'm going into overtime. I don't want to spend too much longer on this. So, but my description was, is that Max Turner, you know, egoist anarchism is effectively that might is right. Okay. Meaning that whatever the individual can do, he can do. But, and this is where I think people forget is they, they don't read what Max Stirner has to say about love because he talks about how I feel, and he's describing empathy, whether he realizes it or not. I feel what my brother feels. I, you know, I feel not, not literally, or, you know, not, not like uh, some kind of quantum entanglement, but just in the fact that, you know, you know, you have empathy, you know, what another human, what another human feels. Okay. That's as long as you still have empathy anyway, uh, which I think anybody can work those muscles. So you don't want to hurt another human because, you know, you just, that's how you want to be treated, right? It's the golden rule or the platinum rule, whichever one you want to run with. I like the platinum rule a little bit better. Um, so, so yeah, might is right, but at the same time, you know, might is, like I said, tempered by love and empathy. Okay. And that's how you empower the individual. Now you can do unions of, you know, unions of egoists. All you want that have perhaps little rules or, you know, little, little agreed upon ideas or whatever that go beyond that in how individuals are going to treat each other. Okay. But at the, at the very base level, you have this very simple individual. I mean, you really do have a simplicity in that the individual is everything. You know, you are, you, yes, you are the most important thing in the universe, but so am I. We're equally, because we're individuals, we're, we're equally, you know, all of valid import and you can treat each other as such. Okay. So while, cause, cause you hear might is right. And you start freaking out. It's like, wait, oh, what the fuck is this? What are you talking about? Oh, this is terrible. So, so the government's legitimate. Not at all. The government is absolutely illegitimate. The individual is the only thing that's legitimate. <laughs> okay. So, but then you got, you know, we have the problem where people are reenacting traumas, you know, and all this different stuff to where they don't treat themselves or other individuals in the way that, uh, you know, that, that is most, uh, that, that is most effective to, or, you know, most effective for human growth and for human happiness, which happiness is the ultimate goal, which is another huge part of, uh, what Max Stirner has to say. Um, so, and, and it, that's not like a utilitarian argument necessarily, even though utilitarianism has, 
a really bad rap as well uh, that people don't understand when they read Bentham or Mill. Uh, they, they don't quite get the nuance of what they were talking about when they talk about utilitarianism. Not saying I'm a utilitarianist or whatever those, <laughs> whatever you want to call that. Uh, but again, it all comes down to the fact that people, a lot of people really just know this stuff or know of these ideas or think of these terms and they they, they know it based upon how someone else analyzed it and not based upon their own research. That goes true for Max Stirner. That goes true for all kinds, you know, like I just mentioned, maybe even Bentham and Mill or Nietzsche or I mentioned Michelle and Frey earlier. I mean, you know, a bunch of people, like they never actually read or they never read Marx. Or, you know, I, I said this in a recent Patreon episode. It's like, look, you know, there's really more than one communism. Guess what? I know you want to lump it all up into one, but just like how there's a bunch of different ways that capitalism gets used and some of those, you know, anarcho-capitalists would say is, is improper, right? Like there's crony capitalism. Well, guess what? There's, there's crony communism. Okay. You know, not everybody agrees with Marx. There's lots of communists who more, you know, are in the camp of, you know, Bakunin and, uh, and, you know, Peter Kropotkin, which Kropotkin's work is phenomenal. I mean, a lot of what he has to say, I hope every capitalist reads that shit and takes it to heart because he's right in a lot of what he has to say, you know, and how we treat each other as humans and all of this. So, you know, there's, there's multiple forms of that, but most people don't know. They just think, oh, commie, oh, communist, give me a break. And I'm not even a communist, but that doesn't mean I, you know, I'm not intrigued by what these people actually think instead of just listening to, and with all due respect, because I love her work, instead of just listening to, you know, looking at it all through the lens of Ayn Rand or through the lens of Rothbard or through the lens of Woods or some other dipshit. I mean, if you want to trust them, trust them fine. But guess what? You might find out that people think differently than the way that, that some of these other versions of anarchism get parlayed. You know, like that, that, that they don't know. Actually, they don't subscribe to the way that Woods describes it or the way that Rothbard describes it or the way that, you know, even Mises describes it. Even though Mises is... You know, a lot of socialists actually really like Mises. I bet you didn't know that. They do. Um, but anyway, I've gone on too long with this. So question everything. <laughs> That's the order of the day. <laughs> question everything. Um, I, I, hope that, I hope that kind of explains it. Yeah, so, I mean, just again in brief, Max Turner, not a libertarian. Um, yes, you know, libertarians have learned a lot from him. Just like Herbert Spencer, I really don't think he's a, he's a libertarian, not, not the libertarianism that Americans talk about, you know, libertarianism originally in its original use was actually a term for communists. It was not a term for capitalists. So you could say the liber maybe more libertarians in that way. But again, you know, Stirner, as much as even some of Stirner's fans say to the opposite, Stirner wasn't espousing any kind of culture, any kind of economy, really. Um, he was just saying, look, you have to hold up the individual and the individual alone, the ineffable one, you know, and that being you particularly. So th there you have it. I, I hope I explained that in, in some kind of fashion that, that made sense for you. Uh, but you can ask more specific questions if you want. And please, if you disagree with anything I'm saying, message me. Okay. Maybe you can change my mind. I actually have a very open mind. Okay, that's why I'm willing to read books from people that, that are part of either economic uh, 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 persuasions or philosophical persuasions that I don't share. 
Unlike, I mean, as to where, you know, in my opinion, I see a lot of, you know, ANCAPs or libertarians, and they are so fucking closed-minded. And, and of course, whenever you call them out on it, it's like, well, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. To quote, to quote another asshat, that is not an argument, and it's not. That's horseshit. So, anyway. <laughs> And I don't like to quote the person that I just quoted because not a fan. But anyway, now let's get into. Uh, all right. So I, I, I'll pull up the question here. And it's, hey, Brian, another question for you. Since you've mentioned it in the past, I wonder if you could talk about hedonism, your definition, what it means to you, how you put it into practice in your everyday life, how you came to it, whatever you feel like discussing. So, and I responded to this person quickly and just said, yeah, you know, I'll get to, I think I'll get to that in a Q&A. Uh, and based off of last week's conversation, I think it's a good one to have uh, now as well. Um, but I, I've promised this for such a long time and I have, and I think I talked about this in a recent Q&A as well. I have a lot of little episodes that like, uh, I need to finish in that I, I just, you know, like that I really want to be very well done you know, I want them to be very well laid out. Things that you could potentially, in the future, I mean, at first they'd be Patreon content, or at the very least, you yourself could take the information and talk to other people about it. Like, I want kind of complete cases made. You know, not just simple 20 minutes on a podcast or something like that, but like full, like almost almost a course on a subject. Okay, and one of the ones I've wanted to do for a long time that I've worked on, I have, you know, quite a bit of it done, and, and I just... I keep wanting to add more and I want, I just like, I really want to like address the critics, you know, with it and all that without having to really do another episode on it or something. And the one is, is hedonism because probably uh, people say this kind of shit all the time, but I have other than unfortunate times where I, I fell to the lure of religion, which I won't let happen again. <laughs> Um, done a little too much work on myself to, you know, to make sure of that. Um, my whole life, I've been a hedonist. Before I, you know, self-described as many other isms, you know, even anarchist and all that. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a hedonist. And so it's, it's a subject that, that I really, it, it, it deserves such a great exploration. And it's so hard to find great explorations of it in the English language, quite frankly. There are other philosophers, you know, I mean, and I mean that in the abstract term, not in the specific, like, referencing to a bunch of idiots at FDR or something. Um, you know, that, like, that, that, that have covered it perhaps far better than I ever could. Um, but I, you know, I'm not the best person to translate their work by any means. Uh, so, you know, so, so the person, you know, here is asking me about hedonism. What's my definition of it? What do I mean by it? Uh, you know, how do I apply it? Blah, 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 blah. So I am going to touch on this subject. I, I am going to get into it uh, here. And this is not going to be like a complete case uh, by any means. That is something I am working on and I'd like to release in the future. Uh, but I am going to, I am going to describe it. Now, why don't we start with definitions? Okay. And I'll actually, I'll rock Wikipedia on this one because I think their definition is fine and dandy. 
of, you know, the overall meaning of hedonism. Because it is important to say that a lot of people have a lot of different definitions of what exactly hedonism means. Okay, there's, there's a hedonism that has to do with technology, which I'm not saying I'm opposed to, but that's not what I mean when I talk about hedonism. Like there's the idea that we build medicine or, you know, that we create medicines or, you know, drugs or we, or we create technologies or something else to where you, uh, you know, you literally remove the human capacity for feeling pain. That is one definition of hedonism. That is not the one that I subscribe to. Okay, and I'm not saying I am opposed to those people. I'm not saying I'm really for them either. All right. But we gotta, you got to understand that like so many isms, capitalism, communism, environmentalism even, uh, you know, a lot of these different things, there are a bunch of different meanings. Uh, even ones that some people think is pure that I've talked about many times and have proven that it's not. Voluntarism or voluntarism, whichever way you want to, you know, say it. Okay. There are people who call themselves voluntarists that vote. The person that invented the term, Carl Watner, said that electoral politics have no part in voluntarism. So obviously you have two voluntarisms. So it's really important with any, I mean, in fact, this is kind of fitting to mention him. You know, what, what did Socrates say? That the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms? This is true, okay? And so I'm happy to describe, even, even briefly here in this Q&A, what I mean by hedonism, all right? But, I, you know, I want you to know that, yes, there are a lot of the people use the term hedonism for all kinds of things, and there's not just one hedonism. I think there's one kind of abstract sort of definition that people ref say, I don't want to say refine, but that they, they forge into whatever their own goals are, Okay. Um, but just like, you know, Epicureanism, okay, is a version of hedonism. It is one type of hedonism. It is not the only type of hedonism. Um, so why don't, all right, why don't I read the definition here, the abstract definition that I have no issue with, and this is directly from Wikipedia. Hedonism is a school of thought that argues that pleasure and happiness are the primary or most important intrinsic goods in the proper aim of human life. A hedonist strives to maximize net pleasure, pleasure minus pain. So let's be clear on what exactly, like, like how could people twist like such, such a simple definition or not twist, but use such a simple abstract as what we just read. Okay. Now there are people who, so like take Epicureanism. Okay. Uh, which I don't, you know, somebody called me an Epicurean. I, I, I wouldn't take much umbrage with that. Um, I don't think that it exactly describes me perfectly though. Epicurus was brilliant and there's definitely a lot of what he had to say through a hedonist lens, uh, that, that was so far ahead of his time that it makes you wonder. I'm not going to tell you what it makes you wonder, but it makes you wonder. <laughs> Um, but okay. So Epicureanism, like that version of hedonism is not the idea that is not necessarily debauchery. It is not the idea that you like that you just go out there and you go seek every single passion, you know, fulfill every passion you have at any given moment, you know, and devil may care, right? All that. Okay. That that's not what Epicureanism says or espouses as a hedonistic philosophy. What it espouses is, is that you take steps in life to experience the least amount of pain. That is wholly different from going out and seeking a good time 
or, you know, all, all the wild pleasures and all that. Like those are two totally fucking different things, but your average run of the mill conservative or even liberal, or, you know, even your average run of the mill libertarian, but I repeat myself, uh, <laughs> seemingly on all counts these days, um, d- doesn't understand, don't seem to understand that. Like that those are very different things. Now, I'm not opposed to either. Like, I, I mean, if you want to, if that's like the life you want to lead is going out and just, you know, fulfilling every single little desire you have, rock and roll. You go for it. I won't judge you for that. You go do your thing. I don't care. Okay. If your goal in life is to minimize pain, go for it, baby. Who would argue with that? <laughs> well, I, I imagine there are people who would. They were called Stoics, but that's not. But we'll, we'll save that for a little bit later in this conversation. Okay, all, all you know, th- those those definitions are are really fine, um, but also neither of those really stand in contrast to the notion that you know pleasure uh, and happiness are the ultimate goals in life, which. Interestingly enough, also Ayn Rand said was the ultimate goal. Of course, she had, you know, how do you get to that? And, you know, how you get to that is through productive achievement, you know, living the heroic life and all this, Um, which is in many ways, in my opinion, anyway, that's just another form of hedonism in a very real sense. Uh, I don't think you could say that capital O objectivism is a hedonism, but I would argue with you that little o objectivism, okay, uh, which, you know, capital O objectivism is, you know, Leonard Peikoff's all his shit, you know, yay government. Uh, you know, if you don't have government, you're just going to get taken over by the next warlord, blah, blah, blah. You know, all that crap, which I don't agree with at all. But, but you know, the more of the existentialism that is, you know, small O objectivism, you know, a lot of the more, um, you know, kind of the, the three axioms that, that, you know, Ayn Rand would espouse, not so much the political stuff. Like, you know, praising IP, which that's nonsense. But, you know, going by the three axioms, you know, existence, identity, you know, all that. Uh, you know, a lot of that, I think that's that's effectively hedonism. I mean, she, she was really pushing Epicureanism in a very real sense. I mean, she had some other parts that, that were just crazy, like women can't, can't be in charge or, you know, stuff like this. I mean, it was, it was damned odd, frankly. Uh, but, but, you know, so, so it just brings to my, brings up my point that, under this abstract notion of what hedonism is, okay, which is, again, the school of thought that argues that pleasure and happiness are the primary or most important intrinsic goals and the proper aim of human life. You can come up with all these wild different philosophies or philosophical schools. So keep that in mind, that when somebody says, what do you mean by, yeah, I mean, when somebody says I'm a hedonist, you need to ask them, well, what do you mean by that? Like, what is your school of hedonism, you know, exactly? So I want to read, I like this next paragraph in Wikipedia, so I'm going to read that. And it is, ethical hedonism is the idea that all people have the right to do everything in their power to achieve the greatest amount of pleasure possible to them. It is also the idea that every person's pleasure should far surpass their amount of pain. Uh, Ethical hedonism is said to have been started by Aristippus of Cyrene, a student of Socrates we just mentioned. He held the idea that pleasure is the highest good. Now, there you go. There is the start of what I mean by hedonism, this ethical hedonism, okay? Uh, And it plays off very nicely. If you listen to last week's Q&A, when we talk about uh, what Max Stirner was espousing, this falls right in with egoism. You know, this idea that, that your pleasure, you are the most important thing in the universe, right? 
That that's the whole tenet of, of, of egoism. Of course, then so is everybody else. So this ethical hedonism is is really important. And so I want to I, I'm I'm going to give a little bit of history, and then I want to talk about personal application and what it means for me and where I first came upon um, hedonism. Uh, in fact, maybe I'll start with that. How did I come upon hedonism? What was my first experience with hedonism? Well, it certainly wasn't from reading Aristippus of Cyrene, uh, nor was it reading, you know, like the, the Art of Happiness uh, by, by Epicurus. Um, my, my first experience, there was a Christian book. Um, the title is escaping me at the moment. I have to, I, I'll, I'll admit that. But there was a Christian book that talked about how uh, hedon, and this is in the 90s, how hedonism was taking over America. And I read this. Now, there are other life forces, you know, other confluences of, of events that were happening that, that really, you know, kind of brought me to this. Um, but I read this book as a young Christian. And everything in this book that the guy, that the, that the author was saying, it was a pastor or something, that the author was saying was bad. I've, I've actually, I've shared... I've shared a picture of this book. Let me let me see let, let me see if I can look it up quick. I want to get the title for you. Well, I can't seem to find it. I know I have a digital copy of it um, because <laughs> it was kind of such an important, in a way, such an important book. Unfortunately, I can't remember the exact title of it. Um, but anyway, everything that this guy described in this book that was evil, I was like, wait a second, but that's what I want to do. Like, I want to do that. You know, <laughs> and like, this is the life I kind of want to lead. Like it, it was, it's funny because the book was supposed to scare you and supposed to say, oh, you got to stay with Christ because otherwise you'll end up like this. And I'm like, no, I want to fucking end up like that. And so then I started and, and the guy, you know, he brings in, he talks about Aristippus. He talks about Epicurus and he talks about some of the opponents too, like Epictetus and some others. Um, and so I start reading all of these people. And, uh, woo, I mean, you know, I'm reading, you know, I'm reading Epicurus and I'm even, not that there's really anything left of, of Aristippus much anyway, but you know, what you could find out of like some Greek books, most of the works you find about Aristippus, you find out through actually like through the Nicene and anti-Nicene fathers. Like, like it comes from reading either Christian texts that, that, uh, critique or it comes from like reading Plato or some of these other guys. It usually comes from critiques. You never find the autographs from these guys, probably because hedonism, in my opinion, and I'm just laying this out here before I even get into, you know, a lot more of hedonism, but probably because hedonism actually sets people free and philosophers of the past 2000 years don't want that. Even philosophers today who say, want you to vote for Trump. Are all about control. And so they hate hedonism because that's about actually being free. In fact, there's even, there's writings of where Aristippus got, I think, I think it's in, um, Aristotle might've talked about it. Uh, but you know, where, where Aristippus gets in arguments with some of the most popular philosophers of, of, of the day, Plato and a bunch of them. And these guys who you think are so logical and cool and collective, right? You know, Plato and whoever else, they, you know, it's reported that they, they were just furious over having arguments with Aristippus, but Aristippus was the one who was cool as a cucumber. He was cool as the breeze. That's interesting. Because maybe because Plato couldn't win against the philosophy of hedonism, maybe because a lot of these other guys, oh shit, can't handle that. I mean, and they're all outcrops of, of Socrates anyway. 
Aristippus was a student of Socrates. So I read that book and then I started actually researching the, the actual thing. And um, it wasn't necessarily the best foundation of it, uh, especially reading Epicurus, even though The Art of Happiness is a, is a wonderful book in, in so many ways. Um, and, er and actually Epicurus, as I've said on Sovereign Tech a few times, whenever I brought him up, like he keeps get, kind of getting proven right. Even when you thought that, because Aristotle, uh, sorry, not Aristotle, Epicurus was an atomist, you know, all into scientific materialism and all that, right? And like a lot of his notions end up being right. Like even the concept, you know, there's new, there's a lot of, or not a lot. There are new theories out there that the universe actually has no beginning and no end. Like that, that time has just kind of always been. Epicurus said that. Uh, there's other things where, you know, he seems to like get proven right much later on. And of course, that's because finally some people are getting away um, you know, from, from Christianity, uh, or, you know, from, from the, the stranglehold, shall we say, of, uh, of religion. Uh, so anyway, you know, not the best foundation, but I came back to it once I, cause I, I became a Christian again. I don't want to get into my, you know, my whole life story on that again, but after I got out of the military and, you know, I, I finally snapped out of the, the haze of war effectively, um, you know, I came back to hedonism and atheism, which those are, uh, the, so this is worth bringing up too. <laughs> I, hedonism and atheism are part and parcel. Like they, they are, they are so intertwined. Um, I could imagine some, now there's the, like the idea of carnal Christians who think that, you know, because of like Romans nine, they get to do whatever the hell they want. And that in fact, sinning makes them uh, greater in God's eyes. You know, as long as you keep going for forgiveness because they, they misconstrue a quote by the Apostle Paul. Um, I'm not talking about them. Um, but there are Christians who, I, I think, what's his name? Piper, John Piper, who was, is, I don't even know if he's still alive, uh, a very, very famous Calvinist uh, pastor. And he believes in what, or he has what's called a Christian hedonism, which is the idea that you do everything to the pleasure of Christ. Like everything is for the pleasure of Christ. Ooh. <laughs> Even when I was Christian and I heard that, I was like, uh, there's, there's something a little off about that. Like, you know, in using that term, because that, that just doesn't, that that's really, and I get it. John Piper was, was trying to sell books and he was trying to be controversial by using the word hedonist, but that those terms, those two terms just shouldn't even belong to each other. Not, not, not in any, any way, shape or form. Um, so hedonism is, it, you know, is very much intertwined, um, you know, with atheism. So as I came to atheism, I, I think the logical, logical extension of atheism is hedonism and, you know, vice versa and all this. Uh, if I end up losing, losing track here <laughs> talking, this is such a huge subject and I'm trying to really like boil it down, uh, you know, quickly. But I just want you to know, my point in talking about that was in saying that there are people who claim to be Christian hedonists, but it's not what you think. And even if it is what you think, they are fucking dead wrong. Like by their own translation of their books, they're just, they're, they're crazy. So now I, all right. Yeah. Shift it up. So now I mentioned Aristippus of Cyrene. Now you got to be careful. Okay. Because there's actually two Aristippuses. There's Aristippi. <laughs> there's Aristippus of Cyrene. And then there's Aristippus the Younger, okay? And actually, in a lot of, and, and here's where it becomes a problem. You may be able to tell that difference. But historians often, or, you know, even like more antiquated historians 
have a hard time to where a lot of things that may have actually been said by Aristippus of Cyrene get attributed to, Arist to Aristippus the Younger, who is the grandson of Aristippus of Cyrene. Uh, Aristippus the Younger is the daughter of, uh, or is the son of Aristippus of Cyrene's daughter, his daughter being uh, Ariti. Now, Ariti is, I mean, her story alone is phenomenal. Like, <laughs> you can almost skip the Aristippi and you can go right to Ariti because here, you know, we're, we're talking about a woman in, you know, like the fourth century, third, fourth century BCE, who was the writer of 40 books. She was a professional philosopher. And here's the deal. It's not like there weren't other female philosophers, but that she made her living off of being one. That was exceptional. Why was that exceptional? How was she able to do that? Well, you know, if, if you want to, if you want to equate something, is it because her message resonated with people so much? And, and here's the problem. We don't really know what her message was. We can only assume that because Aristippus of Cyrene, because her father was kind of the first guy attributed with hedonism, we don't have a whole lot of his writings. So I'm going to mention a couple of things that he said that I think you'll appreciate. Okay. Uh, you know, even though you have Aristippus of, of Cyrene, you know, it, it and since Aristippus the Younger also carried on the hedonist tradition, who we don't have a whole lot of his writings either, other than, you know, we kind of have ideas that he sort of systematized hedonism in a way, you would assume that Aristippus the Younger just learned what was passed down from Aristippus, you know, the elder to his mother, uh, Arete. So for some, somehow she made a living as a woman doing that. Now, one could argue is that Aristippus, because of, because of you know, his philosophy of hedonism, that pleasure, you know, is, is the ultimate kind of human good and, and that you, you know, all things flow from that, that perhaps he came to a lot of very interesting conclusions like equality of the sexes, uh, you know, among other things, uh, you know, and so that perhaps that allowed him to be such a tremendous parent that Ariti ends up becoming, a, you know, a wild success at a time when women were not to be wild successes much like Hypatia, who we learn about later during the Library of Alexandria. Even up to Hypatia's day, it was still rare for a woman, you know, to, to be a teacher and to be a philosopher, uh, you know, and, and well, unfortunately, we know what happened to Hypatia. Burned alive, you know, dragged out into the streets and who knows what else, stoned, perhaps burned alive as the Library of Alexandria was destroyed by various religious zealots. So, I mean, you know, you look at these lives and you have to wonder how much, how big a part is, I mean, one would argue that philosophy, you know, says everything about one's life. And so, you know, what, what do you have here that, that comes out of that? And well, I, I think it's interesting to, you know, to look at the, the lives of these people, but anyway, so, so Ariti is a success story in and of herself. Um, and, and it, perhaps it speaks to the success of the philosophy of hedonism itself, um, and I'm being very short here. I'm not going like really, really deep on a lot of this, folks. So if you're going to say I'm doing some kind of fallacy, go ahead and tell me and, and maybe I'll address it quick because I'm not. Okay. I have a lot more that I could say based on everything. I mean, I could do, I could do an hour. I could do four hours on every single name that I've brought up so far. Okay. I'm trying to be quick here. I'm trying to like, trying to keep it condensed. Um, so anyway, let, let's talk, let, let's go to Aristippus, uh, of Cyrene, who is arguably the guy that kind of started this whole shtick. One of my favorite quotes from Aristippus of Cyrene is wise people 
even though all laws were abolished, would still lead the same life. Now, that's, that's a very popular uh, uh, quote, just particularly on the internet, which doesn't, I mean, which makes a lot of sense because especially the early internet, which was very anarchistic. And I mean, that's as anarchist as it gets, saying that, look, you, laws don't make men. Laws don't make society. Laws don't make civilization. Wisdom does. Knowledge does. Or how about this one? A wise man's country is the world. Uh, let's see. I, I've got like a whole list here. These are just, uh, these are beautiful, beautiful quotes. It is better to be a beggar than ignorant. For the beggar only wants money, but an ignorant person wants humanity. Ooh. What does that mean? <laughs> anyway, you could go on and on with, with, with Aristippus's life. Um, I mean, just a, just wild, wild, you know, some wild stories to be had uh, where, where he's seemingly a very clever guy. And it's funny because he gets written about mainly by his detractors. And the detractors missed that he was ripping on them like right and left. And he was making fools and asses of them. It's, it's, it's really quite the thing. Uh, so now that doesn't mean that Aristippus also wasn't a guy that, you know, went about enjoying extravagance and courtesans and, you know, all this other stuff. Uh, there, there's some things that were laid against him that I think were, were completely inaccurate. Uh, and you could tell kind of within the writing, say by some of these, you know, uh, some of his philosophical enemies that they were trying to do a smear piece, but then, you know, between the lines, you could see where there was the truth of it. So Aristippus is an interesting character uh, to look at as far as coming up with a lot of this stuff and was certainly uh, uh, a lot of thought in the ancient world. Again, most of these writings are, you know, we talked about the Library of Alexandria. And I mean, it wasn't just the Library of Alexandria, you have the Library of Pergamum, you have tons of them, where a lot of these writings are just lost and they're gone. And you can kind of see why maybe, you know, some people get conspiratorial around the Library of Alexandria because it spoke against the power of the day and that people might soon figure out, holy shit, you know, perhaps everybody would become anarchists. Who knows? Or something like that. I mean, you know, I'm kind of transposing some of my own ideas on them. Certainly, I can, I can admit to that. My bias may be creeping in. Okay. But hedonism in and of itself is anti-power. At least power over the individual. It is power for the individual. But it is power, you know, it is against power that stands against the individual. You know, saying, I mean, even, even the power, not just government, but even the power of, uh, like, social mores, which I talk about all the time. You know, to where hedonism's like, okay, well, yeah, no, you, that's something you want to do. You can do it, as long as you can do it. <laughs> you know, don't go, don't go using anybody else's shit, but as, as long as you can do it, do it. Uh, as to where, you know, a lot of social mores would say, no, you don't do that. You can't, you can't just go butt fuck somebody. Are you kidding me? That's terrible. That's horrendous. That's against God. Yada, 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 yada. And maybe that's in some ways, uh, you know, the way hedonism is best understood is in contrast to a lot of its, um, a lot of its detractors and a lot of its opposition. Uh, perhaps the most popular opposition. And now I want to get into, um, I, I want to get into, I, I guess I should, see, I'm all over the place. You can see why I was doing a two-hour show about this, okay? <laughs> I want to get into kind of how I apply it in my own life. That was something that was described, what exactly it means for me and all that. I do want to get into that. Um, but I want to just discuss, like, that there's some people who say, well, you know, what about the Stoics? Because Stoicism seems to be a very popular thing in libertarianism and anarchism these days. I don't know why, uh, but, but it is. Now, here's the thing. Here's, here's the primary thing to understand about Stoicism. 
Okay, and I've read Epictetus. I, you know, I, I, I know the works. Okay, here's the primary thing that people miss is that Stoicism says to you that your, your actions today, what you do today, like that, that you need to think about the future. You need to think about tomorrow. Not just tomorrow is in literally 24 hours from now. You need to think about when you're gone and how you're going to affect the world. There is, in Stoicism, there is this kind of inherent idea that you owe something to the future. That it is, it is, it behooves you, more than it behooves you, it is the proper way to live, that, say, you leave the world a better place than when you came into it. Now, I'm not saying that that's a bad idea. But what I am saying is that there is absolutely no, there's no, I don't know, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? I don't, there's, like, there's no rule, there's no law, there's no part of your biological code that says you are required as a human being to make sure that the world is better as you go. Where is that? Like, tell me the science behind that. Like, so, so, I mean, give me the scientific principle, break out your scientific method, show me where exactly it says that you are required as a human being, that this is part of your human makeup, to be a good human being, whatever the fuck that means, that you have to make the world a better place. No, it's not there. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying it doesn't exist. Stoicism is a philosophy. Like, that is one of the, the undercurrents of Stoicism, and that's horseshit. Now, does human pleasure exist? Well, fuck yeah. What do you think you have all these sensory organs for? It is a part of the biological makeup of who you are. You could say pain is as well. I understand that. But then that's, that's, that becomes the choice. That becomes where the human, the human creature goes beyond instinct and says, do I want more pleasure or do I want more pain? Or is there something, you know, intermixed there perhaps for some people, you know, kind of the quantum existence of, of human beings? There is nothing in Stoicism that, I mean, it has no scientific bearing whatsoever. That's where hedonism has a shit ton. Now, can we move on beyond our, our biology and all that? Sure, of course we can. That's, that's why we have choice. You can choose to live a Stoic life. That's fine. But... You can't say, I agree with Stoicism, so then I'm going to pick up some stupid fucking book that says, oh, I'm an R-type, or I'm a K-type, you know, human being, and that, uh, you know, this, this fits right in with my, my philosophy and all that, and this is biological, this is how you, you make things successful, okay? This is how civilization goes on, because once we're Stoics, civilization moves on. Well, here's your problem. Here's your next problem. Not, a, not even getting into the biology of the matter. Okay, here's your problem with your Stoicism and your problem with really any other, almost any other philosophy outside of hedonism. You can choose it, that's fine. But when you start saying that that's how you have a great civilization is when you, you know, apply these, these little personal philosophical rules, uh, you know, and then this personal philosophy and all that, you know, writ large, that somehow everything's okay. Guess what? History is not on your side. You do not find... Stoicism. You do not find a lot of you know, conservatism or a lot of these other ideas. You don't find them at the very start of, of civilization, which I would think your, your argument that somehow these are what saves civilization 
would preclude that, well, what exactly at, say, the first civilizations we know of in, you know, in human history, that being, say, Sumer, right, the Sumerians, or ancient Egypt or something, do you find these things there? At the very start of, uh, you know, these quantum, these very real quantum leaps in human existence, you know, coming out of the Paleolithic into the Neolithic and all this, what do you find? You don't find Stoicism. You don't find a lot of these other philosophies, but you do find hedonism. Oddly enough, here's one of the first quotes out of Sumer. Okay, and it's right out of the Epic of Gilgamesh, which I know I, I've been wanting to release the Epic of Gilgamesh for a while, but I've yet to. Anyway, um, there's a character in it, uh, Siduri, who gives the following advice. Quote, fill your belly day and night, make merry, let days be full of joy, dance and make music day and night. These things alone are the concern of men. I mean, that's, that's fucking hedonism in a nutshell. Enjoy life, your life, now, you, not the life of the next people. Look, you know, this is something where I think Ayn Rand was so spot on, okay? She said, when I die, it's not my life that will end, but the world will end, and that's absolutely true. And what she means by that is, like, it's over. When you're dead, you have nothing to do with the world. Like, I mean, it's just, it's done and done. Your, the world for you has effectively ended. It's not you that will die. It is the world that will end. That, that, was, that was Ayn Rand's point. And I think there's a lot of, there's, I mean, that, that's so true. You don't owe the future anything. You can choose to, but, you, but there's no like grand law and there's no evidence whatsoever historically that somehow if you, know, if you engage in anything other than you know, constantly thinking about the future and having a family, doing all this shit, blah, 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 that somehow things are going to end up so much worse. I would argue quite the opposite because the anti-hedonism philosophies have been the ones that have really, really you know, uh, kind of carried on through time. Why did they carry on? Well, because all the hedonist books got burned. But they're the ones that have carried on through time. And you want to tell me that, oh, wow, you know, how wonderful this is, blah, 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 blah. I would argue with you that what really happened was, is that, say, like during the Enlightenment, what happened during the Enlightenment was... Suddenly people started, you know, like, so you had scientists that, that the kind of the purpose behind the Renaissance, the Enlightenment and all this was, all right, we need to, we have this incredible tool called science that we're discovering um, and this consistency of existence in the universe. And so we're going to take that and we are going to, uh, you know, we're going to start applying it. How can we prove God? And of course, what happened is, is they found out they disproved God during the Enlightenment. Okay, and they started, you know, when they started using the scientific method here, there, and everywhere, okay, suddenly they started saying, wait a second, what about this whole individualism thing? Because that's when a lot of the shit starts to crop up, is at the same time. Any of the advancements you have today, okay, that you think are good, really kind of came out of a lot of those varying thinkers, Okay, you know, say anywhere between the 12th or, well, I guess maybe 13th to, say, 17th century, something like this, right? Okay, but those people, you know, those ideas were, you know, very individualistic. And honestly, a lot of them were very hedonistic. I mean, you look at, 
you know, the Monks of Menham, uh, I mean, like, the, you know, Hellfire, things like the Hellfire Club and stuff like this, where people were, you know, allowing their passions to finally get expressed. I'm reminded, I, well, I'll quote Nathaniel Brandon to you, you know, speaking of Ayn Rand, but I think Nathaniel Brandon's right. This is the guy who's the, I mean, the expert on self-esteem and just, just, if you've never read his books, fucking read them. But he has one of the best quotes in history, in my opinion, and that is, is that in order to think clearly, we have to feel deeply. That is hedonism. You have to feel these things. You don't bury them. You don't shove them off for tomorrow. Okay? You feel them. And then you can think clearly because you're paying attention to what's going on for you. And I know there's people who say, well, Stoicism doesn't say bury it. Stoicism doesn't say go around walking around like, like Mr. Spock or something. Yeah, I get that. But you create false paradigms with Stoicism. You really do. Uh, and I have, I have so much more I want to get into. I'm going to try and wrap this up. Um, you create false paradigms. Like there's the idea of instant gratification. That is, that is such a false paradigm. People do not, I mean, maybe there's some people that go after instant gratification, but that term gets used way too much. All right. When people want something now, it doesn't have to do with the fact that they can't control their lust or they can't control their passion. It's because they want a guarantee in a world where everything gets taken out from underneath them by thieves. Have you ever thought about it that way? It's not, yeah, there's such a thing as instant gratification and, and, and people not being able to delay gratification or something like this. Okay, but it gets, it gets applied across the board and it's wrong to apply that way. There's times where it needs to be applied, but most of the ways that people think about it, absolutely fucking not. And it's so funny because like now the, you know, a lot of these people that are, that are against sort of like some of the ideas that I've laid out with hedonism or hedonism in general that perhaps that you would read about. And I know I haven't exactly described what it is, but it's just so funny that so many people that are against this sort of shit, now they appeal to biology. Like they bring up a lot of this R-type and, uh, and, and R, you know, this R-K selection theory and all this bullshit. Uh, when it's like, you know, these same people will, will tell you, you know, uh, like they're part of say like the no fap movements, right? Where you don't jerk off. And all this stuff, right? And it's like, well, okay, wait a second. Let's see. Bio biologically, a person can come, like a man, a man can come, a man can ejaculate every five minutes to an hour. And they can ejaculate millions of billions of sperm. Um, so biologically, what are they designed to do? Well, obviously, they're designed to come a lot. So what the fuck is this nonsense about, you know, not fapping? Ooh. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so hedonism for me, let's boil, <laughs> now that I'm done railing against <laughs> the opposition, I, I think I should reverse the order of how I'm talking about this. But hedonism for me is just that, is just what Aristippus talked about, what Ayn Rand talked about, what a lot, you know, a lot of these different, uh, uh, you know, characters or philosophers, people talked about that, you know, happiness is your number one goal. Now, like Sterner, like Max Sterner said, is that your, you know, or even here, I'll quote Robert Heinlein. What is love? Love is your happiness completely intertwined with someone else's. So, and, and Sterner was, you know, huge on feeling love. And that is, is that, you know, your happiness does not, you know, your actual happiness, your ethical hedonism does not fuck with someone else's pursuit of happiness. 
Is that the nap, right? Something like that? It's not exactly the nap, but that's the thing. You know, do what, or what is, who says that? The Wiccans? Do what thou wilt, you know, just don't hurt anybody, but hurt none, right? Isn't that how they say it? Sure, that's great. That, that's, that's, that's a perfect way to describe hedonism. That's, that's certainly how, you know, how I chalk up hedonism. Of course, what does hurt mean? Well, that's another conversation. Okay, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that's it. That, that's, that's really it. And that seeking out these pleasures. Now, how does that, so I mean, so, so, that, so there's hedonism for you. Is that, seek, is that pleasure is the, is the intrinsic good. It is the ultimate good. It is the ultimate goal in life. It is, you know, pleasure. Pleasure can take a lot of different forms. Pleasure could be a chocolate chip cookie. Pleasure could be a cum. Pleasure could be a threesome. Pleasure could be a scientific discovery. Pleasure could be a boat ride. Pleasure could be, I mean, obviously it could be all these different things, right? Okay. It's not just about living some kind of debaucherous, gluttonous life or whatever. I'm not, I don't have any problem with living that kind of life. Okay. But it's not just that there, you know, finishing writing a book is a tremendous pleasure. That's hedonism. That's okay. Hedonism is telling you effectively that when society says to you, you know, as a whole, that just because society agrees upon something being a really like terrible or evil thing, like, uh, like how anal sex used to be considered the unspeakable act. Hedonism says, no, it's not. As long as there's consent, actual consent, you know, and as long as you're rocking it, because that would be part of, you know, that would be part of the happiness, right? Is, you know, intertwining it with someone else's experience. Okay. Rock and roll. Have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Call me in the morning if you want. And so how does that, how do I apply that in my own life? I hope I kind of described it. I mean, I think the abstract definition that that Wikipedia gave was actually fantastic. Um, you know, how do I apply it in my own life? You know, I don't listen to the societal mores, you know, and I, and I listen to myself. What do I want? How would I want to be treated? Right. You know, kind of the, it's, I mean, like the platinum rule or the golden rule, depending on which, which way you want to rock with it. I look at that, you know, and, and, and there is when I'm in touch with my pleasure, I can be more in touch with what I want out of life and how to respect other people. Because when I'm in touch with every aspect, all of my passions, all of my desires, all of my discipline, when I'm actually in touch with that, when I'm feeling deeply so I can think clearly, then I can better know how to respect other people as well. So that's one of the ways that it, that it gets applied. It gets applied by, you know, I don't believe in, in other people like ruling over me because their pleasure isn't any greater than mine unless I choose it to be and I don't. I mean, now, do I go around drinking? Do I go around, you know, doing all these other things? No, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't mind that people do. I don't care. Drink, do drugs, do all the drugs you want. I don't give a shit. Okay, you know, duh, we're talking hedonism. Go ahead. I am not here to lay down social mores on you. Okay, but I don't do any of that stuff. Now, interestingly, the reason I don't do that is because in my opinion, just my opinion, the individual here, me, Golden Stallion, Brian Sovereign, they interfere with my ability to feel pleasure. 
I mean, and there's, you know, I have science to, to kind of to back that up. Okay. You know, I have research that can, that can back that up that, you know, whiskey dick, right. Uh, you know, you have stoner boner. These are actual conditions that people get, you know, when they imbibe or ingest or, you know, smoke up, whatever, uh, or even cigarettes themselves, you know, can, can affect blood vessels and the penis and all this. And I don't want that because I've chosen what, you know, what, what, where, you know, one of my, one of my great, uh, uh vehicles of pleasure. Okay. And I don't want to mess with it. That's it. But do you see how wanting, how seeking pleasure actually created to some degree, for lack of a better term, a discipline in that I'm not going to do that stuff because I know what I want because I have felt deeply and I've thought about it clearly because I felt it. So that's how it applies. Hedonism says nothing in, in the abstract. Hedonism says really nothing about making sure you're going out and having a party. It's just saying that if you want to, you can. As to where other philosophies are saying, that might not be a good idea. Based upon the philosophy telling you that hedonism, you get the opportunity to tell yourself that you get the opportunity to explore yourself over that because you're not writing off your passions. You see. Now, I know I'm getting like all, all kind of hot and bothered and heated up and everything. Uh, understand, emailer, I love your question. I told you that. <laughs> like, I just, you know, what, what really comes up for me, uh, you know, when I start talking about hedonism is the reasons that I, you know, that I cling so, so much to it. Because so much of society tells you that so many of your passions from the simplest passion of eating a chocolate chip or, you know, of eating a peanut butter whoopie pie, uh, you know, to the larger passions of being in an orgy or something, you know, are wrong. So it gets me heated up. Anyway, uh, I, I kind of hope that answered the question. <laughs> like I said, this is something that I, I've wanted to do, like just a huge, huge episode around going more into the history of it. But I tried to be very brief and tried to describe a lot of this stuff for you. Um, and, I, and I hope it helps. I hope it's what you're looking for. Um, yeah, I just, I, I apply it by, you know, by being able, by accepting my passions and then being able to look at them, you know, instead of just writing them off because society tells me they're bad or because the country I happen to live in thinks that it's bad, you know, or something like this, like, like that, that's how, that's how hedonism can get applied. Um, you know, do I have, you know, say, say debaucherous sexual adventures? I certainly have. But I don't treat, you know, but they're my experience. And, and, I, and I, I personally make sure because it's just as important to me having a good time that everybody else is having a good time when I'm rocking that shit too. You see how logically hedonism plays in? It's amazing. Do I want the future to be a better place than the world I live in now? Absolutely, because that's the world I want to live in. I want to live in a better world. Now, I don't plan on dying, of course, either. I think, you know, transhumanism is a thing. Uh, not exactly the transhumanism that most people describe. But regardless, um, you know, I would do, I do that simply out of, not out of some like stoic desire to, oh, yes, the world must be better when I leave it. Or I need to think about tomorrow. It's not that. It's just that that's what I'd want to live in. So I'm trying to create it right now. That is my debaucherous desire is to have a peaceful planet. Oh, oh, oh how terrible. Oh, oh, oh. 
You don't need to have this. You don't, you don't need to feel a need or to have some kind of philosophy telling you you need to be worried about tomorrow to have a better tomorrow. And that's, that's, that, that, that's one, you know, that was one of the big pulls to me for anarchism is that, you know, it was that great crucible of truth where you hammered everything out and you got rid of all the non-essentials and you got, you struck the root, right? You strike the root and when you, and what's left when you get to the root and what can grow from that root when you finally realize what it is. That's exciting. That's the stuff that, but you got to get to that point. You've got it, and you have to, you've got to have that basis. You cannot just be constantly stepping back, okay, from, say, if you were a Republican or a Democrat or whatever, and you're just constantly like a little bit, okay, yeah, no, I'm like this. Oh, now I'm like this. Eventually, you got to get to the point where it's like, okay, look, I think, you know, all of these different philosophies or ideologies or whatever, they were, you know, there's, there's something off about all of them. And so I'm going to get to the root of this, and then I'm going to go from there. And that's what anarchism for me was all about, was all about. You know, that that was I think in my opinion and I think there's actually a lot of evidence in what scant writings have survived because authoritarians burned it all, okay? What scant evidence survives is that hedonism in and of itself is anarchism. They are one and the same and there's other people you can read. I've mentioned his name a few times. There's Michel Onfray who does work on this. There's there's a few others out there. I as I tried to connect Matt Sterner I think effectively, you know, espouses hedonism. So there you have it. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it at that. And if people have more particular questions, or if you disagree with me, please disagree. You know, go ahead, disagree. Tell me your disagreement, and I will discuss it. All right. And especially if you're a sovereign tech listener. Look, I don't hate you. <laughs> okay. You know, just like this listener was asking, you know, tell me, what do you think about Hebrews? Well, well, they're just asking the question. I got, you know, heated up, but I wasn't heated up as a listener. Go ahead and tell me. Instead of walking away, you know, and saying, this guy is crazy, why don't you try having a conversation? You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution.